Let us uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I believe we'll finish the chapter this morning. Lord help us. We will uh, read from verse 15 for context to the end. Uh, speaking, having already mentioned that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit, the earnest of our inheritance, he explains, Paul explains um, his prayer for them, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's pray. Our Father, we uh, tremble at thy word, at the... uh, Strictness, Lord, of thy judgment. We shall give account of every idle word. Oh, I thank God for the advocate that, uh, and the blood of sprinkling by which we are justified in thy sight. So, oh Lord, open our understanding to thy word, our hearts to receive, our wills to obey, that we might uh, glorify the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we have uh, this mild or or brief review in verse 18. Paul's prayed in verse 17 that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And we've looked at what that means in the scriptures, right? uh, That that aspect, those faculties or functions of the Holy Spirit would be manifest in them. It's not as if God keeps piling on Spirit. All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in the Holy Spirit, correct? Which means, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have all the gifts. (laughs) And it's for Him to manifest them according to His will. Whatever they are, whether gifts of healing or prophecy and so on. I remember hearing a preacher uh, tell us an experience he was in, and he was sitting there uh, in a in a meeting. Um, a very esteemed and older preacher was speaking, and in the congregation seated there, it wasn't one local congregation; it was like a conference, and so you had everybody. You had the young, the old, um, lots of elders, and all sorts of brethren sitting there. 
And this preacher, actually he was in a Pentecostal church and he was trying to make a point to get people out of their thinking because it is common for Pentecostals, you know, what's your gift, you know, and how many gifts do you have? I got two gifts, you know, and, and this thinking. And so during his sermon, he said, how many of you have one gift? And of course, being Pentecostals, everybody has the gift of tongues. So everyone's hand went up and, you know, how many have two gifts? And some hands went down, three gifts, you know, and five. And, and this brother, he's there, he's still got his hand up. And now everyone's looking around to see who the apostles in the midst are. You know, there's two brothers. He stopped at five. He didn't want to embarrass anyone. And this preacher whom I heard later telling the story, he was one sitting there. He had his hand up at five gifts, you know. And he went to the speaker afterwards. He said, you know, brother, if you'd gone to ten, I would have kept my hand up. He said, that's right. I just said it that way because they're Pentecostals and they want to expand their thinking. All the gifts of God are in the Holy Ghost. And therefore in each believer. And so Paul isn't praying that you're going to get an extra spirit here and an extra, you know, and just layers. You're carrying around this cartload of, of extras. He's, the, the meaning of his prayer is that that uh, aspect of God's spirit and ministry would be manifest in them. And to this end, that, uh, and the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, they're already enlightened. If you see and recognize Jesus is Lord and Savior, your eyes are enlightened. No man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. He's not praying for their eyes to be enlightened. Their eyes are already enlightened. So your eyes are already enlightened. I'm praying that you have this spirit of wisdom and knowledge and the revelation of him. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Right? Future glory. What we're expecting. And uh, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Uh, what's in it for God, so to speak, and that union that we shall have with God. And, and here we pick up, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Paul really wants us to see this. We've preached, I think, two messages on it. The power that worketh in us. He's not praying that you would receive more power. Well, that the Ephesians would, and by extension, you know, he's praying this for all Christians. He's not praying that the Christians would receive more power. Isn't that right? Let's look at it together. Right? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know. And he lists several things. And the last, the, the last one he mentions is in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. And later he says uh, according to the power that worketh in us. Uh, in chapter 3 verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly all the, above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. He wants us to know how great the power that works in us is. Imagine... Um, driving, I don't know, much about cars, a little more than I used to know before. You know, um, I used to think, I suppose, that kind of like Mercedes was, or Jaguar or something was kind of the classiest car you could drive around. But there are some really uh, quite incredible cars out there. Hear about a Bugatti, right? I watched a little clip with my boys. I forget why, the randomness of my own mind, but um, zero 
to 400 miles an hour, kilometers an hour. From zero to 400 kilometers an hour, back to zero in, in some short amount of time. And the stopping process, right? That's quite a car. That's a lot of speed, a lot of power. The exceeding greatness of the power, you know, of that engine. Imagine putting around at 20 kilometers an hour or whatever in first gear because you didn't know there were more gears. You didn't know how much horsepower is on the hood just putting around because you're used to driving around with people in smart cars in the inner city and it's just a lot of horn beeping and a little, you know, bicycles whizzing past you in your car um, and so on. And, And that's what you think a car is. And so you've got this Bugatti in your... Beep, 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 you know? And Paul's wanting you to know you can go up to 400k in this thing. You can be really moving. Now, it's a weak illustration, but it gives the idea the Christian. Paul wants the Christian to know how much power is working in them. So they're not like oh, afraid of the devil and afraid that they're going to stumble in sin and afraid of this and worried about that. <laughs> You've got the Almighty within you. Right? John put it this way, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's the devil and his minions. He's saying greater, right? Greater is Christ in you. Greater than our human frailty, our emotional weaknesses. He wants us to see this. He doesn't want us to receive that power. It's already in the Christian. He wants us to realize it. He's not wanting the Bugatti to get a powerful engine. He's wanting the driver to see that he's got a monster car that he's driving. We're getting a vision for this? And then he describes this power. This is the power at work in the Christian. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ... When he raised him from the dead. And we've looked at those things. I'm just by way of review and reminding us. Resurrection power. What kind of power is it to go? Can you imagine? And the Lord did this. Go to the graveyard, right? Okay. Dig up all the graves. Open up all the coffins. All right. Now everybody, come forth. Imagine them all jumping out of the graves, right? That's power, isn't it? He wrought in Christ. And yet that's even a lesser illustration. The Lord did it with Lazarus. Preachers have made the point that the Lord needed to say, Lazarus, come forth. If he just said, come forth, everybody would have come out of their graves, right? He had to identify, Lazarus, come forth. A body that had been dead long enough that it was stinking. That's power. Now, more than that, Christ... Christ's body never stank. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither shalt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. All right? Um, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And we want to look a little bit at this uh, this morning. This is the power that's working in the Christian. The problem is, we, we just, Brother Abe was pointing us to that. <laughs> There's this man, and he has a need. A great need. Nobody could help him. And now Jesus is with him. 
And he's still not that much more encouraged, right? He's, he's, he's been so long struggling with this need and no progress has been made. And now even though Jesus is there with him, he's still not, oh, we're going to do this. He's just like, oh, God, help me to believe. Do you see it? He's got Jesus with him. He doesn't need anything more now. He's got all the power of the eternal God right there with him. And yet his heart is still layered in unbelief. And what he needed was not gifting. He didn't need anybody or any more. He just needed to see the power that was with him. It's an illustration. That's what the believer needs. The believer needs to see the greatness of the power of God that's at work in him. Fills you with confidence. Fills you with boldness. It takes away all all futility and striving from the prayers, the futile kind of striving. It's now the striving of a victor, of a conqueror, of a warrior that, um, as David would say, he maketh my, teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken with my hands. Makes you a mighty warrior and conqueror in the kingdom. Because your eyes are open and you can see the power of Christ in you. Hallelujah. Uh, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I don't know if you've noticed that Paul has, has strayed from his topic there and he can't help it. Right? It's like when he was writing to the Corinthians. Um, uh, hmm, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, a kind of area. I think he's talking about uh, giving. And uh, Yes, chapter 9. He's talking about giving to the saints. And the effect it has, right? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This administration, verse 12, the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, right? So you're giving him money, it provides for practical need of the saints, but is abundant also by, the many, by many thanksgivings unto God. Lots of people now praising God. So this giving, it meets a practical need, causes thanksgiving. And whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God. So... Now they're praising God, so giving thanks, they're praising um, for your faith and your generosity to them. And now they're praying for you and they're loving you. And like this giving is just multiplying in grace and then he just has to let something burst. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And then he goes on writing with this topic. He just has to, it's a bit like a hallelujah in the midst of your praying or your preaching or your singing or something. Paul here is praying for them. And that they might know the power that's at work in them and which was wrought in Christ. And then he, he gets lost in the glory of Christ. At his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power. Greater than every name which is named. And, and then in chapter 2, what we call chapter 2, he goes back to his, uh, his topic. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you see it? He's talking about Christ and his resurrection. Ascended into the heavens. And he gets lost in the glory. 
And he gives us a bit of a glimpse and then he, he gets back on to his subject. We want to look at that a little bit. The resurrection of Christ and his ascension. Right? This was um, essentially one act. And it was foretold in the scriptures. Let's look at the apostles identified it. Look in, in Acts chapter 2. Peter's uh, sermon. There and from there we'll go into the Psalms, which Peter quotes, and some perhaps that he didn't quote. <clears throat> we know we know the background here. It's the day of Pentecost. They've all been in the temple daily praying and blessing God. And now the day that God had appointed, in the same way that He had appointed the Passover for the um, death of Christ. The redemption of sins, that Passover lamb using the the picture there that he created when he judged Egypt and delivered Israel. And now the blood of Christ shed at the Passover, the giving of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, the day the law was given formerly. The day of Pentecost has fully come. The uh, prophecies have been fulfilled. Peter in his preaching identifies this that they've seen Uh, as Joel. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It was also that which was spoken of by the prophet Ezekiel and Isaiah and others, but Joel puts it in sharper focus based on the phenomenon that they were seeing. Right? It was on that day that the twofold prophecy of Ezekiel was fulfilled where these dry bones lived. First of all, the preaching of John the Baptist Uh, brought bone to his bone, the order of a life, no more prostitution, no more um, extortion as a tax collector. People brought forth fruits unto repentance. There was an order, but there was no breath in them. And now the breath was coming into them, and they stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army filled with the love of God, going forth to turn the world upside down. That was fulfilled on that day. Ezekiel 36, a new heart will I give unto you and a new spirit will put my spirit within you. That was fulfilled on that day. Jeremiah 30 or 31, a new, um, this is a covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. All of these prophecies were fulfilled. Peter focuses on Joel's. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now it shall come to pass in the last days, in the days of Messiah, that I will pour out my spirit. And, uh, and so he leads them in, his, in their understanding. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. He addresses that. They're not drunk. This is what Joel prophesied. Listen. And then he tells them about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. By miracles and signs and wonders which God did by him. In the midst, as you... In the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being determined, being delivered, excuse me, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord... Always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. 
Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now we have a few psalms there that the Apostle Peter has walked them through. And those are the psalms and verses from those psalms that speak of the resurrection of Christ and his exaltation into heaven and him seated in a place of glory until all is put beneath his feet. It's in those psalms, those few psalms that he's mentioned. It's implied elsewhere, but none so clearly as in those psalms that the apostle mentions. And these are the same psalms that Paul has uh, received that revelation Christ, um, seated in the heavens at the right hand of the Father. Now that's a symbolic term. And you get these visions, uh, not you and I, but um, in the scripture. Stephen, when he was 